Good morning. It's good to see you today. It's a beautiful day. Thank you for being here. We're so grateful for a beautiful day, the opportunity to be together. We pray that the time that we spend together today will profit you as we praise God. If you're visiting, as always, we are thankful for your presence. We hope to see you back here again if you have that opportunity. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to consider the work here. We'd love to have you come and be a part of the family here at Olive Branch. We're looking at James chapter 2, verse 12 in our study today, the passage that was read a moment ago by our brother, Gary. And we're very grateful for the scriptures and for the encouragement that they give to us as we try to live a Christian life. I'd imagine that many of you are already making plans for Thanksgiving. It'll be here before you know it. Many of us have already penciled in on our calendar a time to spend with family and friends, and nothing wrong with that. We make plans regularly in life, a lot of things that we need to attend to on a regular basis. But I want to ask you a question today. Are you making plans for the judgment to come? One of the most practical books in Scripture is James. The book of James is really, to the New Testament, what the book of Proverbs is to the Old Testament. It's a very practical guide to everyday living. And so in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, James writes to encourage us to live in view of the judgment to come, to make sure that our conduct is conducive to the day and time when we stand before Almighty God. So he said, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. First thing that I want to call your attention to in our study today, the inevitability of the judgment. One of the certainties of life, as you well know, is what Scripture tells us is the appointment of death. I don't say that to be negative. It's not my intent to cause us to reflect upon the brevity of our life in any sort of negative way. It's just a fact. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer said, it is appointed unto man once to die. You remember the psalmist in Psalm 89. Ask the question, what man shall live and not see death? There are only two individuals that I've ever read about in Scripture that never felt the sting of death. And yet, we know that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 makes it abundantly clear that all will feel the sting of death unless the Lord proceeds our passing from this life. So how do we live in view of the fact that we know death is imminent? Well, I think one way is to understand that time gets by very quickly. You remember over in James chapter 4, James compared life to a vapor. He said that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. He talks about individuals who are planning and preparing to go into the marketplace and buy and sell and trade and get gain. And then underscores the fact that life is like a vapor. And so he said that what ought to govern our thinking is that we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. To understand that 
Life is governed by time, isn't it? Don't you think that's why Moses said many years ago to understand something about the brevity of life and to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom, to use wisdom as we live here upon planet Earth, to understand we're not going to be here forever. But then there's a second thought. First, there is the appointment of death, but then secondly, there is what the Bible calls an appointed day. Now, you remember Jesus during His earthly ministry said on one occasion, He said, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent him draw him, or the Father who sent me draw him. And then Jesus said, I will raise him up at the last day. When Paul was in the city of Athens preaching about the one true living God, underscoring the fact that we are the products of Almighty God, that God has made of one all nations of the earth to dwell on planet earth. You remember it was Paul who closed that lesson by saying the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day in which He'll judge the world in righteousness. Now somebody might ask the question, well, what day are you talking about? What's well, the terminal day in the history of the world as we know it? Now you remember Paul said that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. To understand that Jesus will one day come. When He comes, what's going to happen to the world that we live in? Well, the Bible says that the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night. The heavens are going to pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein, Peter said they're going to be burned up. Well, what about us? Well, Jesus said on that final day, a resurrection will occur. Go all the way back to the book of Daniel, chapter 12. Daniel said that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. He's talking about the body there. The fact that the body that is placed in the ground will rise again. The word resurrection simply means to stand, to stand up. Well, that body is in the cemetery. The body has the appearance of sleeping. The soul is not sleeping, but the body is. We're in the presence of God if we're living for the Lord. You remember what Paul said? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's the idea right there. And James said that the body without the spirit is dead. Well, what happens to the inward man at death? Well, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7, when death occurs, the body will return to the dust from whence it was taken. The spirit, however, will return to God. There will come a day when the Lord will indeed come. It'll be the last day. And when Jesus comes, He's going to be seated upon the throne of His glory. You remember what the Lord said about that? That all nations would be gathered before Him. 
he would begin to separate them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. The sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left. By the way, if the Lord were to come today, what side would you be on? Would you be on the right hand or the left hand? Would you be numbered among the sheep or the goats? Now there's a second very important thought here. The judgment, inevitable. But what about our responsibility at the judgment? Now I want you to listen again to what James said. James writes, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Really all he's saying is, in light of the judgment to come, in view of that fact, and it is a fact, you need to understand something about your conduct. So James, in a very practical way, is saying that we need to govern our words and our deeds. That's it. Listen again. James said, So speak as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. What we say in this world carries a lot of weight, doesn't it? You remember, for example, back in chapter 1, James said, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, but bridles not his own tongue, he said, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless or empty, vain. And the idea is that if we're children of God, if we're trying to live according to what the Bible teaches, we're going to make sure that our speech is what it ought to be. We're going to have a governor on our tongue. Back in Proverbs 31, the Bible talks about that worthy woman whose price is far above rubies. The inspired writer there emphasizes the beautiful characteristics of a godly woman. It's in that context that he would say, she opens her mouth with wisdom. On her tongue is the law of kindness. Now here's a lady that understood the importance of using her voice, her tongue, constructively. What about you? You remember what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 12? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. The evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. And then Jesus had this to say. Jesus said, every idle word that a man shall speak, he'll give an account thereof in the day of judgment. And the idea is those who are careless with their words will ultimately give account to that to Almighty God. Now, you know, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3, that we're not to use filthy language. Paul would write, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, I understand people in the world using profanity. 
I understand people in the world saying a lot of things. But as a child of God, what Paul is saying is, we need to control our speech. Now in James chapter 3, James speaks extensively about the tongue. You remember he said it's a little member, but it boasts great things. The tongue has the ability to do a lot of good, but also it can be used in a very negative way. There's some folks, they are verbal assassins, if you know what I mean. And they have the ability to literally shred you to pieces. The Bible talks about those who engage in gossip, calls them busybodies. I want to just say this very quickly. If as a child of God, we are engaged in gossip. If, we are, if we're trying to put our nose in other people's business, that's called a sin. And let me tell you what. One of the things that will destroy the soul eternally is to use your tongue in a manner and way that is not in harmony with the Word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you do, please nod your head. Do you understand? I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. We have to understand that the tongue, though a small, small member in the human body, can be used for good or evil. Now listen, you have the responsibility of controlling your tongue. There are some folks in the body of Christ, and I'm talking about the body of Christ, not just here, but all over the world. There are some folks that have yet to understand the importance of mastering the tongue. You want to go to heaven? You plan to be with God and with His people, you better make sure that your tongue is controlled by the Spirit of God, and that is by His Word. Because if it is not, James said, look, you need to understand, in view of the judgment, God's going to hold you responsible for what you say. That's powerful, isn't it? So number one, our words. Number two, our deeds. Now listen, that includes not only what we do, but what we don't do. James said, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is to visit the fatherless and widows and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. What James is saying there is that we have to be willing to, re to render benevolent aid to those who have needs. Now I want you to listen to what James said over in chapter 4. To him who knows to do good, but does it not, to him it is sin. Now we can sin, we can sin willingly. There are sins of commission, but there are also sins of omission. That is, we know there are certain things we're supposed to do, but we just don't do it. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus pictures the judgment. 
You remember he said, I was hungry, and what'd you do? You didn't give me anything to eat. Thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. Naked, you didn't clothe me. A stranger, you didn't take me in. Sick and in prison, you didn't come to me. Now that's a great example of what James is talking about. In Luke 10, when Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, you remember there were two religious men that walked right by the Samaritan, or right by the man that had fallen among the thieves. The thieves had left him half dead. And then here comes a Samaritan, and what does he do? He takes care of him. The priest and the Levite sinned by way of a mission. They could have done something that was good. They could have helped that, bro- that fellow, but they didn't. Now Paul said, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those who are faith. So, not just what we do, but what we don't do. Now, in James chapter 1, verse 27, James has into consideration here a child of God, a Christian. He's saying that we have the responsibility to help other people, and I'm grateful for the good things that go on in this church and all the people that are working behind the scenes helping others. But he also said we're not to be spotted or tainted by the world. In chapter 4, verse 4, he said that there were some who were committing spiritual adultery. As a result of that, in God's view, they were His enemies. What's your relationship to the world? When people see you in the community, what do they see? Do they see somebody who's living a Christian life, upright, trying to do what's right? Or is it difficult for people in the world to discern and say, you know what, he's a Christian. Well, let me tell you what, she is a fine Christian lady. He's a fine Christian young man. She is a tremendous example as a teenager. Is that what people say? To understand that we are to be distinctive in how we live, And listen, that includes how we dress. It includes what we say. It includes where we go. It includes what we do and what we do not do. About living a Christian life. James said, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Back in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul talked about the danger of allowing the world to pour us into its mold. He said we're not to be conformed to the world, but rather we are to be transformed. Well, how do we do that? By the Word of God. That's exactly what James is saying. You take the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and you allow that Word to find a home in your heart. If God's Word finds a home in your heart, then what are you going to do? What does that mean? It means you are yielding to the teaching of Scripture, doesn't it? Didn't Paul write, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? It takes a daily endeavor on our part to try to live the Christian life. It's not by accident. 
but rather we're trying to the best of our ability to live in harmony with the Word of Almighty God. Now I want you to listen to what Solomon said many years ago. You remember Solomon, when he summed up life, he said, we're to fear God, keep His commandments, this is man's all. Now let me tell you why. Because God's going to bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. Are there things in your life that are sinful? You know it. And you know that you know that God would not approve, but nobody knows about it. Let me tell you what, on the day of judgment, it'll all come out. You can hide it, but it's coming out. You can either deal with it today. You can make sure that the blood of Christ has washed away your sins. But what Solomon is saying is you need to understand. There's coming a day in which every closet's going to be opened. And all the evil will be exposed. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, We must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give an account, listen to him, of the deeds done in the body. What you do in your body will follow you to the judgment. Did you know that? When the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and said, No, you're not. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about the works of the flesh. He said, Neither fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. What Paul's saying is, there does not need to be any surprises. The Bible's very transparent. You live for the flesh, and you'll die having lived for the flesh. And here's what Paul said, Galatians 6, Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow to the, you sow to the flesh, you're going to of the flesh reap corruption. You sow to the Spirit, and you'll reap life everlasting. James is saying you need to speak, and do as people who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now thirdly, what about our responsibility at the judgment? I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5. Number one, to understand that the Savior will be the one who judges us. Jesus said, The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son. In verse 27 of that same chapter, here's what James would say. That the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Again, he said, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Revelation chapter 20. John said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus pictures that triumphant coming, you remember he said he would be seated upon the throne of his glory. 
You ever thought about what it's going to be like to stand face to face with Jesus? Paul said, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. Now we live in a day and time when people do not want to accept personal responsibility. To understand that's been going on as long as the world has been going on. When Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God in the garden, and God began to interrogate Adam, what was it he said? You remember? The woman whom you gave to me, put the blame on her. Now look, we can blame anybody we want for the condition that we find ourselves in today. And we can blame this and we can blame that. We can talk about what happened to us here and what happened to us there. But to understand, we have to, at some point in time, take personal responsibility for how we're living. So it's going to be one-on-one on, one on one with Jesus. How's that going to work out for you? You thought about that? When you stand in the presence of Jesus and He begins to look at what you've said, what you've done, or what you've not done, how will that work out? There's a passage in James chapter 2 that's worthy of reflection. James said, Judgment is without mercy to him who has shown no mercy. You want to be harsh, critical, overbearing? You want to withhold forgiveness, kindness, gentleness to others? You want to be, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, among the people who were described as unmerciful, unforgiving? Well, let me tell you what, if that's how you're living this life, i got news for you. When you stand before Almighty God, do not expect any mercy. Don't expect it. You think He's going to show mercy to you when you haven't shown mercy to others? Not a chance. You know, sometimes we have to be very upfront and transparent when we talk about things. Why? Because sometimes people don't understand. I'm convinced that on a weekly basis, when I preach and teach, whether it's by way of radio, television, or face-to-face, -face, a lot of what I say goes right over the heads of people. No application. That might be you. And you may say, well, you know what, the old guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, maybe not. But I got news for you. God knows what he's talking about. What I'm trying to tell you is this is what the Bible teaches. Now, you want to go to heaven, you better make sure your life is where it ought to be at all times. So I got news for you. You're going to leave this world whether you like it or not. And you're going to stand before the judge of all the earth. His judgment is going to be impartial. I don't care who you are. When you stand before God, there's not going to be some defense attorney standing before you pleading your case and getting you off with the life that's been lived recklessly in sin. You're not going to be able to jet out of eternity. It doesn't work that way. No, God's going to hold you accountable for how you are living. Do you understand what I'm saying? He will hold you accountable. 
you're going to stand before the judge of all the earth. And I assure you, he's going to do what's right. His judgment will be impartial and it will be infallible. He will not make one mistake. Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God's going to do what's right. Whether we do or not, God will do right. I'd rather be judged by Almighty God than the human family. Why? Because I know what God judges is going to be correct. Second thought here. First, the Savior who's going to judge, but then the standard by which we're going to be judged. Don't think for a minute God's going to judge you on the basis of what you think. Or I just feel like this. No, that's not how it's going to work. Well, somebody else said this. No, that's not going to have to work either. We're not going to be judged on the basis of what we think in our heart. We're not going to be judged on the basis of the majority. We won't be judged on the basis of any type of human creed. No, God's going to open His Word. James said, so speak, so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. That's called the perfect law of liberty in James 1.25. Identified by Paul as the law of Christ. Now I want to ask you what I believe to be a very fair question. Let's just open the Bible. Imagine if you can, you're standing before God. Remember John said, I saw the dead small and great standing before God and the books were open? I'm talking about the Word of God. God is sitting with His Bible open looking at you. Now here's the question. Are you living in harmony with this book right now? Either you are or you're not. There's no gray area. Either you're living in harmony with what this book teaches or you're not. Now look, if your life is not lived in subjugation to what the Bible teaches, could I just say to you, you are on very, very thin ice. You can't afford to die. You can't afford for the Lord to come. You know why? Because you'll be lost. You will be lost. You remember when Daniel said that some will awaken to shame and everlasting contempt? The word contempt there carries with it the idea of that which is loathsome. What he's saying is the body that's raised when it comes to the wicked it will not be a pretty sight. It will be a detestable, detestable sight. Either you're going to be among the body of the redeemed or you're not. And you're going to have eternity to think about all the chances you had to live for God. Time and again when you said, no, I'm not going to obey the gospel. Time and again when you said, I know I should, I should have been living faithful, but I, but I just I just had in my heart of hearts that I'd get it straight down the road. Well, guess what? It, you didn't get it straight. And now you're lost. And you're going to spend eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. Forever and ever and ever. Let that sink in. 
I wonder, when it's all said and done, how many of us on the final day, of everybody that's here today, how many of us will hear the Lord say, come? But I'd be interested to know how many of us here today are going to hear the word, depart. It is highly possible that you're here today and you're going to be lost. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing your family can do about it. You're going to be lost. The reason you're going to be lost is because you made bad decisions in life. The decisions that you make in this life will determine your destiny. You want to go to heaven, you better live like it. If you want to go to heaven and be with God and His people, you better be living right. As Paul said, we're to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We are to deny worldliness and ungodly lust. A distinction being made. You obeyed the gospel? You believe Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus said... If you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. You ever thought about that? Where the Lord is, you will not be there. Where God's people are, you will not be there. You ready for that day? Would you be willing to walk away from a life of sin? Will you do that today? Now look, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, you need to be immersed into Christ so that you can enjoy salvation, Mark 16, 16. You need to be immersed in Christ so that your sins can be forgiven, washed away, as Luke records in Acts 22, 16. If you're here today and you are unfaithful to Almighty God, the alarm ought to be going off in your mind right now. You ought to be thinking, you know what, I better get my life right. The Hebrew writer said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, it is a thing fearful beyond belief to stand in the presence of God unprepared. I'm trying to help you today, not hurt you. It's never my intent to hurt. It's always my intent to help. Sometimes you've got to be cut to be helped. If you're here today and you need to respond to heaven's invitation, I'm pleading with you today, do not leave here outside of Christ. Don't leave here unfaithful. You make it right today, and when you walk out of here, you can sleep easy tonight. You can know that all is well with your soul. Won't you come as we stand and sing?